Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page a Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 241. Mike, he said, and he moved Shadow's shopping bags into the back of Missy Gunther's station wagon. Missy drove Shadow back to her place, where in the drive he saw an elderly SUV. The blown snow had bleached half of it to a blinding white, while the rest of it was painted the kind of drippy purple that someone would need to be very stoned very often to even begin to find attractive. Still, the car started up on the first try, and the heater worked, although it took almost ten minutes of running the engine with the heater on full before it even started to change the interior of the car from unbearably cold to merely chilly. While this was happening, Missy Gunther took Shadow into her kitchen. Excuse the mess, but the little ones just leave their toys all over after Christmas, and she just doesn't have the heart. Would he care for some leftover turkey dinner? Last year they did goose, but this year it was a big old turkey. Well, coffee then. Won't take a moment to brew a fresh pot and Shadow took a large red toy car off of the window seat and sat down while Missy Gunther asked if he had met his neighbors yet, and Shadow confessed that he hadn't. There were, he was informed, while the coffee dripped and brewed, four other inhabitants of his apartment building. Back when it was the Pilsen place, the Pilsons lived in the downstairs flat and rented out the upper two flats. Now, their apartment, that was the downstairs one, and that was taken by a couple of young men, Mr. Holes and Mr. Neiman. They actually were a couple, and when she said couple, Mr. Ainsel, heavens, we have all kinds here, more than one kind of tree in the forest, although mostly those kind of people wind up in Madison or the Twin Cities, but truth to tell, nobody here gives it a second thought. They're in Key West for the winter, they'll be back in April, he'll meet them then. The thing about Lakeside is that it's a good town. Now, next door to Mr. Ainsel, there's Marguerite Olson and her little boy, a sweet lady, sweet, sweet lady, but she's had a hard life still, sweet as pie, and she works for the Lakeside News. Not the most exciting newspaper in the world, but truth to tell, Missy Gunther thought that was probably the way most folk around here liked it. Oh, she said and poured him coffee. She just wished that Mr. Ainsel could see the town in summer or late in the spring when the lilacs. And that's our page. So the Forerunner is described as ancient here on the page, so I guess it could be from the second generation, which was in production from 1989 to 1995. To my mind, ancient in car terms is different from ancient in, you know, ruins or whatever. A 10-year-old car looks significantly different from a current model for certain, so it could be that the Forerunner is closer to 10, maybe 12 years old, instead of the one that I was picturing, which was maybe 3 to 5 years old. Not that it matters in the long run, all that matters is that the vehicle is purple, purple that one would have to be stoned to find attractive, and yeah, the book I think reminds us later that it doesn't have to necessarily be attractive, it just has to seem like a good idea at the time. The page also continues Missy's, is it third person? Generalized way of communicating? There's still no quotation marks to delineate when she's speaking, but it just kind of flows from topic to topic, and I I still like it. The, the way she speaks is great for packing in a lot of information without seeming like someone's just dumping information on you in a clunky, expositional way. We learn about the young Messrs. Holtz and Neiman, a couple, and I'm sure Missy thinks she's being so progressive in her acceptance of this young queer couple, but... Uh, just the, the line, those kind of people, is gross. Holes is a German name meaning small grove, and Neiman is Anglo-Saxon name that literally means new man, although thought to have meant stranger or something similar when it was originally used. I don't know if there's any use squinting at these names so closely, but who knows what might be useful later in the novel. Not I, clearly. This is, I believe, the first mention of Madison. It's capital of Wisconsin with a population of about 255,000 people. The most interesting aspect of Madison in regards to the novel is that there are nine buildings that stand in Madison that were designed by Frank Lloyd Wright, who we last spoke of in the House on the Rock section of the book. 
The Twin Cities are Minneapolis and St. Paul, both in Minnesota. The cities are adjacent, though supposedly quite different. Minneapolis is the populous, the most populous city in Minnesota with a population of about 422,000. St. Paul is the capital and has a metro population of about 309,000. Together, the Twin Cities have a metropolitan area population close to 3.6 million people. Key West is a popular tourist destination in Florida, an island off the southwestern coast of the state. It's also the southernmost city in the lower 48 states. It was a popular destination for several U.S. presidents, novelist Ernest Hemingway, and playwright Tennessee Williams. We also hear of Marguerite Olsen for the first time. Olsen translates literally as son of Ol and is Norwegian in origin, giving what I think is our first name that connects back to the Viking homeland. Now that I think Marguerite Olsen is some sort of long-lost connection back to Norse mythology we've been discussing in conjunction with Wednesday, but it's worth noting since a lot of connections in the book go back to gods themselves and the people are a part of that as well. In between talking about Shadow's new neighbors, Missy states... The thing about Lakeside is that it's a good town, which is sort of out of nowhere right in the middle of the paragraph. It's similar to Hinzelman's refrain about how his story about the skinless buck wasn't a lie, though in his case it was a legitimate storytelling technique. Here, I'm not entirely certain. It's similar to how Shadow thought it was a nice town when he was in the middle of his new apartment. It came out of nowhere, and it may be true, but it also seems odd to just think it like that. I wonder if these characters say this trying to convince themselves of it or, I don't know, that if this gay couple can leave here, live here undisturbed, well, that just shows how perfectly nice the town is, how kind the people that live there are. It's almost cult-like when, when she says it, though, I think. Lilacs are mentioned as the final word on the page, and I was hopeful they were the same as Violet's because I know Dick about flowers, but they are quite different. In Greek mythology, a nymph named Syringa was pursued by Pan, who lusted after her. Syringa didn't return his affections, so turned herself into a fragrant bush to escape him, and now that bush is known as Lilac, whose botanical name is Syringa vulgaris, vulgaris in this case meaning commonplace. It's also the state flower of New Hampshire and the traditional gift for an eighth wedding anniversary. They'll often be one of the first flowers to blossom to herald the arrival of spring, so if Shadow was there to see it happen, spring wouldn't be terribly far behind. Remember the lilacs for when we get towards the end of the book. The end of the book is somewhere in March or April, so I'm curious to see if we get any information about what kind of flowers are blooming then. Get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetail at gmail.com and on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. Thank you to Julian Granganage for the use of his version of St. James Infirmary Blues as the show's theme. And thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page, and remember, only the gods are real.